Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to be doing our community connection show where we share questions and stories that you all have submitted to us. I do ask that you excuse my croaky voice. I'm getting over a cold and, and I know I sound pretty scratchy, but I hope you all can bear with me in your ears because we have some wonderful questions and stories to share with you guys. So pour yourself a cup of tea or a mug of joe and sit around the table and join us for a hopefully fun and informative hour. So how are you doing, Denise, before we dive in? I'm okay. I think this shift of seasons has us all in this transitional place. That's the nice word for it. And I think we're trying to figure out what's next. But I agree with you. The questions this month are, are incredible. I think it's going to reach a lot of people that will be saying, oh my gosh, I'm thinking the same thing. I do too. I do too. I'll dive in with our first one. Perfect. Dear empaths, I'm wondering if negative emotions can manifest some darker energies. I've been feeling down lately and it's been affecting me emotionally. When I went to bed, I noticed a darker shadow in the corner of my room. I also felt like the shadow was spreading out and then returning to this corner. I had a bottle of Samantha's Crystal Clear Spray nearby and sprayed it in the corner. About a minute later, the area became less dark and the energy less dense. I know there's a darker side to what we talk about, but I think it's important to know what to do and how to react. The more I know, the better for my own health, and thank heavens for that spray. <laughs> I do think there is a darker side to doing this work, and I think to ignore it is to, um, you know, join Dorothy in the world of Oz. We live in a world of duality. There's up and down and left and right, and as above, so below, dark and light. And we have to be aware of that. This is why I'm always harping on about the importance of psychic protection. And it's not hard to practice psychic protection. Just like going on a diet isn't hard in theory, or going for a run around your neighborhood isn't hard in theory. The hard part of practicing psychic protection when you're an empath is one word, consistency. And if you can consistently ground your energy every day and put the white light around yourself, you will Put up a shield of protection in your aura. But her question asks about negative emotions that empaths feel. And yeah, any anytime we have a negative emotion, whether it's anger or sadness, depression, it pokes little holes in our aura. Picture a shield all around you. That's your aura. It extends about seven feet all around your body. And it has many different layers within it. And anytime we have a physical illness or a surgery where someone's actually cutting into you and going through those layers of the aura, that will put holes in your shield. But in my opinion, those are a little easier to come back from. You know, you get bed rest and, and you get better and you heal. But the negative emotions, we're not as aware on a physical level of how impactful those can be. They do put holes in our aura. And that's not to say... Don't be negative, everyone. Be happy all the time. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I think the only way to release negative emotions is to feel them. Remember when you were a teenager and you'd sit in your bed and you'd write poetry and you'd listen to Depeche Mode, if anyone was like me as a teenager, and you'd cry out all your feelings? Do you remember that? I think we still need to do that even in, as adults. 
we need to feel our feelings. We need to cry. We need to vent. We need to rage. We just need to do it in healthy ways. So either with a therapist or a friend or a journal or just with our own selves dancing in our room, but we need to get those emotions out. That's one of the best ways to seal and heal the holes that they put in our aura. I agree with you. I think bottling up the emotions leads, uh, my own personal opinion, leads to a lot, can lead to a lot of physical discomfort, illness, and I'm not, you know, not as a blanket statement, but I, I think as sensitive people, when we hold everything in, it, it kind of backs up a little bit, for lack of a more professional way of saying it. Yeah, and, you know, think about the fact that our subconscious mind has been proven to be basically an echo. Whatever you feed it, it gives back to you. And the subconscious mind only learns and projects in pictures. This is why I'm such an advocate of goal boards and, and vision boards, because the subconscious mind works through pictures. So if you're going throughout your, your day with negative pictures in your head, today's going to suck at work. I can't believe I'm leaving the house and I'm not going to get home until 9 p.m. And that meeting is going to be so long. And damn it, do I really have to call that person back? You're putting all these negative pictures. You're imprinting them into your subconscious. Your subconscious is like an, a robot. And it just says, oh, okay, the meeting is going to suck. Here you go. Here's a sucky meeting. Oh, that phone call you've been putting off asking for the raise from your boss, that's going to go bad. Okay, I will deliver a bad incident with your boss discussing the raise. Yes, practicing psychic protection techniques is really important on a consistent basis, but also feeding your subconscious mind positive pictures, even if you don't feel it. You know, just forget all that crap about how you have to feel it to make it real. Forget about all that for now. Focus on feeding your subconscious mind positive pictures of how you want your life to look today. Forget about five years from now. Start with today. And sometimes if you're in those negative states of feeling like everything stinks, sometimes just giving your, feeding your subconscious a, a, a nice picture of you sitting in bed smiling as you read a book is enough. It does, I'm, not, I'm not saying you've got to imagine, you know, shaking hands with Brad Pitt and him asking you out for a date. <laughs> <laughs> Little insight into my mind. No, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> but just something that's realistic and positive that you can experience that day and just start to play with that. It will cure those negative emotions very quickly. Okay, very, very would you well like said. to read our next one? I would. Yeah, the next question we have is, I just listened to your perfectionism podcast and I loved it. I just want to say that I've been writing down all of my mistakes in a beautiful mistake journal. I write down what I did and then follow it up with a lesson I learned. I decorate the page with stickers of rainbows and unicorns and hearts. Celebrating my mistakes allows me to let go of my imperfections and show gratitude for what I've learned in my journey. I see, I think this is a wonderful way to, to acknowledge it, to own it, and then to release it. And it reminded me of, of back when I was really struggling financially to make ends meet. I developed this practice when it was time to pay the bills as I would light a candle, I'd do a little prayer. I even found some little happy face stickers and I would bless each check that I wrote to send out and or I would bless being I would be like get in a place of gratitude about wow, I have the resources to be able to pay this. 
And I think that's a huge, huge part of what she's saying. And we're in this transitional time right now of needing to release so that we can embrace what's coming up next. I know. I love this idea. And I emailed her back and I said, I would try this, although I would fill up a book a week, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'm so hard on myself. But I love this idea. And it's a nice way to reframe what you look at as, man, I really screwed that up or why didn't I say that? Or why did I do that? It's a nice way to put it in a new, happier, more positive light. Right. Okay. Our next question says, and this is a big question, so we'll try to answer it our best, but I, I feel like Denise, we might need to make this into a show topic. Okay. Okay. So this is from Cheryl. She says, I have a spiritual question I'm working through and I would really value your thoughts on the subject. I grew up in a toxic religion situation which eventually led me to leave the church and abandon God. I called myself an atheist, but it never, fit me, it never fit me well. Now that I'm on the path of my spiritual awakening, I have connected with my spirit guides as well as Archangels Michael and Raphael. I've come to realize that I can't call on these otherworldly beings and eschew a relationship with God. I'm trying to heal that, but I am struggling with separating the punitive church version of God from the cosmic energy that is my higher self and represents love. I would really appreciate hearing how you both balance spirituality and religion, which has become a trigger word for so many. Thank you very much for your podcast and your time. So I just think that's such a great question because as we start to awaken to this path, we do discover that so much of it is not in alignment with our church that we were raised in. And sometimes to walk away from that church takes a lot of courage, but also there's a sense of grieving and loss. And it's, it's one step I've not been able to take. Um, I don't agree with everything that my church espouses. In fact, I agree with very few of it. I mean, come on, my church is against yoga. Like, I, I still don't understand what they have against down dog, but, but, <laughs> but there you have it. They're not really fans of mediumship or Reiki either. And yet I can't walk away from, from my church because going to mass, it just fills my soul. I know something magical happens when I partake in the Eucharist. And as a child, for me, going to church really was a sense of homecoming. No matter where we lived, no matter if I was the new kid in town or if I hadn't made friends yet or if I was just feeling unsettled because I didn't know what the school year was going to look like or what this new town was going to feel like, the mass was always the same. And I, I loved that. I loved knowing that throughout millennia, the mass had always been pretty much the same. And it made me feel connected to something much bigger than myself. And it, it, really, it really saved me and helped me in many ways. So I, I don't know that I will ever turn my back on that part of me. So the way I have bridged it is I don't, when I'm sitting in those pews on Sunday or Saturday night, I don't sit there and and really listen (laughs) to a lot of what's being read, especially when they do the Old Testament readings. I use it as a time for me to sit in a sacred space and connect with a God that is even higher than the God of the church. Because I really do think that whoever created us is not the same being 
that they are talking about in so many parts of the Bible. I don't believe that the creator who manifested this beautiful earth in all of us is a punitive being. I think that punitive being is a part of God's creation, but I don't believe it's the creator. And so when I sit in that sacred space in church, I'm praying to something bigger than I can comprehend and and clearly bigger than I can explain to all of you. All I know is I feel it when I sit there and it's really important to, it's my compass. Now, I don't think you have to do that. I don't think you have to go to church to feel that sense of home or that sense of connection. For me, it works. For many other people, it doesn't. And that's absolutely fine. If you read the Gnostic Gospels, you will read the true teachings. Well, the New Testament has the true teachings of Jesus too, but before they were kind of butchered by King James. Did you know, for example, Denise, that before the King James version of the Bible, the story of, I believe it was King Saul going to visit the quote-unquote witch of Endor to Mm -hmm. perform mediumship, that word always said woman of Endor. Wow. And King James decreed that it be changed to witch of Endor. That's a big deal. That isn't very well known. Right. It's a very big deal. um, If you read in the Gnostic Gospels, there are many times in there where Jesus says things like, Turn over a rock and you will find me. Lift up a log and I am there. Uh, He also says, wherever two or more are gathered, I am with you. So no matter what your religion is, no matter who you are praying to, you don't have to do it in a building. Uh, it, It works for me and I have found a way to bridge it and just learning to really just look at what do I get from this hour of my week? And is it worth more than the kind of yuckier parts that, that churches and, and other religions have perpetrated on, on the world? And so for me, it's just a very personal relationship that I choose to participate in in a public way by visiting the church each week. I have a couple thoughts on this. One is I love comparative religion. And if you go to the basic tenets of most religions, they're all saying the same thing. And I think they've all been twisted and contorted to fit the individual needs of different sects. But that's, that's not my point in this, is what popped into my head as I was listening to the question was, uh, you know, a lot of folks who have followed uh, AA or any kind of anonymous type thing, one of the first things that you're asked to do is, you know, surrender and God, but they always say God as you know him or God as your higher power or whatever you're comfortable with. And I think that's what you're saying is what you're connecting to and the fact that she brought back in the angels, which the archangels, it's connecting to divine. And you may do that out in the middle of the ocean by yourself. You may do that when you're pulling weeds. You may do that sitting in the community of a church building. It doesn't matter. What, what matters is, are you making that link with yourself and divinity and feeling that peace and sense of knowing that you're not alone on the planet? Exactly. And we all have to come home to God or goddess in the way that is right for us. And I really do believe that there is no right or wrong way. 
That's why that one pronoun that Jesus allegedly said really bugs me. I am the way, the light, the truth. I don't know if that's true unless you look at Jesus as, you know, one of many gods of God's representatives. You know what I mean? So I feel that there are many paths to God. There are many truths that are God. And we all have to come to our truth in our own way. And turning our back on that punitive God is, in many ways, one of the most courageous things you can do in your lifetime because it is so filled with fear and and reprimands that really are just an illusion. But it's finding what brings you comfort and solace and connection. Exactly. Well said. So we will revisit this topic in a deeper way. Yes. Uh, Our next question or statement, uh, I wanted to ask if you think it's possible to manifest contact from someone specific, an ex or a friend that you haven't spoken to in years. I do think it's possible as I've done it before, I think. But could it be that free will of the other person gets involved? So are they willing the person in or are they picking up on the other person thinking of them? And that's me being an intuitive is, and you do it all the time too. We'll say, oh, I was thinking about so-and-so and then they called me or they sent a note or I got an email or whatever it might be. So are we picking up on a mutual energy or are we manifesting the connection? I think there's a blurry line there. I do too. And you know, in my Be Your Own Psychic webinar, one of the exercises we do is called, are you a sender or a receiver? Because this is really what you're talking about. And so I have the, I partner up the students and they'll take turns and one will try sending like a number from one to 10 to the partner and the other partner will try receiving it and then they, they flip it because I do believe that it's both. I don't think this is a chicken or the egg come first type thing. I think it's both. I think that we can send a thought to someone, call me and they can pick that up. And I think the, the reverse works as well. I remember one New Year's Eve, I was 12 years old. I was babysitting alone in this home. The kids had gone to bed and the back door opened by itself and it really freaked me out. And, you know, it's like 1231 a.m. I'm in this home. I don't, I don't even, my, my sister, my parents are at a party. My sister's at a party. This is no cell phones. I don't know how to call anyone. All I knew is I was terrified. You know, I thought someone was trying to break into the home or there was a ghost walking in. I didn't know. And so I just sat there and I just kept saying over and over and over, Courtney, come to me. Courtney, come to me. Over and over. I swear to God, Denise, I'll have my sister on the show to talk about this. <laughs> she came, the, these, help, these people live three doors down from our house. She came over to that house about 25 minutes later. She walked into the front door and said, what's wrong? Wow. And I burst into tears and I hugged her and I was like, how did you know? And she said, I just knew. And we still talk about that to this day because she was in the Hyatt mm-hmm. Hotel, poor thing, having a lovely New Year's Eve with her friends. And she got this thought you know, to, that Samantha needed her and she came. So I do think this is possible. However, when this listener mentioned manifest contact from someone specific like an ex that just made me think uh oh that's that's not good 
to do any type of love magic or intention exercises to try to get an ex-lover to come back to you, that's just not good mojo. You don't want to be dealing with that. So just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it necessarily. I agree 100% with that because then you are messing with somebody's free will. Exactly. And, and that, is, that, that, is that anything you want to base a solid relationship on? Exactly. And no, because it's not going to be solid if it's based on karmic manipulation, even though I don't think that's her intent. No, 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 no. No, but I do think that, that it is always important to recognize that, yes, we have everything subject to change in free will, but also if you are dealing with someone else's energy, they equally have that same right. Well said. Okay, our next question says, Denise and Samantha, I recently found your podcast on Spotify and wanted to let you know how much it has helped me. I've been going through some personal growth and learning about my true self, and I've been searching around for information. I found you and I've listened to your most recent episodes. There were some discussions regarding narcissistic parents. My mother is a narcissist, and about eight years ago, I had to sever the relationship. Over these past years of being disconnected from her, and most recently coming to the knowledge that I am indeed an empath, I feel like what I've been learning is that the empath-narcissistic relationship is the type of catalyst for change. Do either of you believe it may be more common for empathic individuals to have been born from these type of relationships? Or is it just the fact that we are already empathic and draw that energy toward us in some way? So I think that's a really good question. And this is kind of like a chicken or the egg question, you know, what comes first? Because I think that if you are raised with at least one narcissistic parent, I do think it can foster empathy in you. And I mean, studies have shown people who have lived privileged lives free of a lot of challenges aren't exactly the most empathic people. But individuals who have had lives filled with challenges, maybe they were bullied as kids or had economic worries in their younger years, they tend to be more empathic. And so what does that tell us? Well, if you've gone through some shit, you're going to open up your heart. It's like Rumi said, you have to have a broken heart to have an open heart. And so I do think when you're raised with a narcissistic parent, it makes you so hyper aware of everyone's emotions for two reasons. One, as a child of a narcissist, you have to be so tuned into their moods. Is this going to be a good day with this parent or a bad day? And two, it makes you very aware of how insensitive people make you feel because you grew up with it and you don't want to ever make anyone else feel the way that narcissistic parent made you feel. However, some children who grew up with a narcissistic parent become narcissists themselves. So this isn't an always never situation. But I do think that empaths tend to attract narcissists. There was, um, there's a, there's a memoir I really want to read. It just came out and I was reading a review about it. Uh, I, I can't remember if she's, I think she's a Mar Marquess, however you say that. She's a member of royalty in England. And she writes about being married to this 
horribly narcissistic man for her entire life. I think they were married like 45 years. And he cheats on her and he treats her like crap. All, he does all this awful stuff. And about 30 years into their marriage, she says, why did you marry me? You clearly don't love me. Why did you marry me? And he said, because I knew you'd put up with it. Oh. I know. And it just makes me think, I wonder if narcissists almost seek empaths out because they think, ooh, this is someone nice and squishy and soft and pliable and, and I can take advantage of this. And I wonder if empaths unconsciously seek out narcissists because they think, ooh, there's someone tough and rigid and hard and cruel. They're going to help bring me strength because I'm going to learn to set boundaries with them. I've thought about this topic a lot. And it, to me, you know, nature nurture has always fascinated me. And I think it's often a combination of both when in any situation. And I thought, exactly what you just said about if we're airdropped into these families, is it a learned behavior to be able to read people well, to feel things so deeply as kind of a survival mode because you can't communicate, you're vulnerable, you don't have the, the cognitive uh, capabilities to be able to process things on anything other than that emotional, be in the moment, survival level of, of existence. And then I think because you know, of my, my lineage as, with, as being a medium, an empath, a psychic, is it a combination of both? And I think it really depends on the person, but I agree with you as well that we may, will be drawn towards what's familiar. So if, if there's a narcissistic person that was crucial in raising us or in our early development, there's a familiarity with that later in life that we have to be aware of. That makes perfect sense. So we ready for our next one? Yes. Okay. With this new awakening I am experiencing, I have what seems like a million questions. As a man, I have always been taught from childhood to be tough, to not show pain or emotions, but I've always found that to be untrue to myself. Sure, I played the part and rolled with the punches, but something never seemed right about trying to overlook my emotions. I always seemed to be sensitive to people's wants and needs. I could read them like a book. I feel them. I knew what they were going to say before they spoke. I could talk to anyone one-on-one -on -one and make them as comfortable as I was. I know other men feel the same way because I felt their feelings. It's kind of like in a split second, I know what one is all about just by feeling their energy. Some people I meet, I get a bad vibe from because it's like they know who I am and they aren't liking it. So those I keep away from. My line of work puts me in the public eye daily, so I have lots of encounters with different personalities. I wonder how common this is. I have so many deep questions and thoughts. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I've also had many encounters with the higher spirits, angels, and what I believe to be aliens. I bet you're thinking, wow, this guy is flipped. And I admit it sounds strange, but there's no one to talk to in my world because I come from a very religious family. I would definitely be blackballed if I ever spoke of any of this to them. So for years, I've kept this in. I've told my wife only a few things just to test the water. I can feel she doesn't know what to think. I've told my children about some of this, hoping they'll understand. But so far, they just think old dad is full of it, and that's okay. And just ends by saying, you know, thank you. There's no one really to talk to about this, and it felt good to let that out. And this, this is near and dear to my heart as far as growing up with a father who was an empath and a medium and an intuitive, and at home could be that person. But out in the real world was manly, rugged, tough, 
man's man kind of guy. And uh, having sons, it was very painful for me to watch when they went from being able to openly express whatever they were feeling to putting their guard up in as they became more acclimated with the, the societal expectations of young males not to show any emotion. And I think that as we're evolving in this new direction as a culture, as a people, as a planet, one of the things that we need to acknowledge as far as everyone wants to hear their voice heard is please not to denigrate males as less or having less emotions. They just haven't had the opportunity to express it as freely in many cases. Yeah, this email gave me a lot of hope because I really think more men are coming to this awareness that it is not only okay to have feelings and express them, but it's kind of essential to being your authentic self. We give so much time and attention to the plight of women in this world or you know, the, the plight of being from a different race or culture or religion. And I don't think we give this subject the attention it deserves. I do think it's really difficult, especially in today's society, to know what does it mean to be a man? Well, they've changed the rules. They have so many times. I mean, I, a silly example comes to mind, but, you know, my whole married life, we had Dobermans. And then little Lily, my Yorkshire Terrier, all seven pounds of her comes waltzing into my heart. And Mike wouldn't walk her by himself. First of all, she had a pink collar with a big bow on it. And her little tag says princess. <laughs> but when I would be doing readings all day, I'd say, oh, Lily needs her walk at lunchtime. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not going to be seen walking that little dog. And I thought, wow, you know, like do men really judge each other for having a little dog? Is it, is it that minute? Do you think about it that much? And, and I think they do. And yet... I have known men who are intuitive. You and I know men who are mediums. And I don't think it's a coincidence that most of the famous mediums that are men are also gay. Because I think gay men have this wonderful connection and authenticity with their emotions that I'm not sure straight men give themselves permission to truly inhabit. And the fact that this, you know, married father of two is sharing his story so openly, it just gives me a lot of hope. And I really pray that he finds his like-minded community. And if he doesn't, I hope he starts one because this isn't the first email we've gotten like this. And in fact, Denise, I actually went through old emails trying to find, because I don't save emails. And I was trying to like remember names of other men who have emailed us so I could almost put them in connection with each other. I think that everything you just said, I agree with entirely. I also feel like these intuitive, exactly the way this man described himself, is that you're the person who needs to hold the torch as we shift in this new direction. If I had one magic wand wish, it would truly be drop your labels, whatever they are, don't, don't really, and just be a nice human. Just see someone else as a, as a spirit, as a, 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 a being of light, as another human being on the planet, because it really doesn't matter. We're all in this together. And I know that sounds like 
rah-rah, and I don't mean it that way, but the more we delineate by these specific descriptions of ourselves, it lessens the ability to bond as a whole. Exactly. Beautifully said. And to answer his questions more specifically, yes, everything you are describing is textbook for an intuitive empath. Mm -hmm. When you are an intuitive empath, you can pick up on the vibes and emotions of others. You are much better one-on-one -on -one with people, and you do tend to have a special skill for making others feel more at ease. And I like that he stays away from the individuals he gets a bad vibe from. That's wonderful. He's trusting his intuition. He's, he's leaning into his emotions and relying on them to help guide his life. That's really, really good. And just because you can't discuss this with your family doesn't mean you can't find community and connection in other areas. Denise, you and I were just talking, you know, just as friends on the phone last night about how no one in our family has listened to our podcast. <laughs> exactly. And that's really normal. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's very, very common. You're not always, your family can't provide everything you need. If they did, that would be kind of weird and a little bit too isolating. You know, our family provides some things that we need, but then we have to reach out and find our own tribe that we can encounter in tandem with our family. But not every family group or friend group is going to support everything about you. And frankly, I don't know if I'd want to be with someone who, you know, supported everything about me. Be a little weird. Someone was like, I agree with everything you are and believe and say. I don't know what I would do with that. It's interesting. There's the be boring correlation. <laughs> it would be boring. The correlation to the very religious again. You know, yeah. We've had a couple of these. And when you switch around, and one other thought is the beauty of a very in interconnected world via the internet. It allows you to connect with like-minded people and it doesn't have to impact your community we need to find people that resonate on our frequency in order to feel safe and to validate who we really are. Yeah, that's why I think I said to him when I responded to this email was, you know, go out and go to conferences. Go to, there are so many amazing conferences on alien contact that are, that's not like, you know, Roswell, where are the bodies? I mean, there are wonderful conferences for connecting with off-planet beings where you get physicists, scientists, researchers, well-respected researchers in this field, and you can really educate and learn so much about this. There are classes and, and workshops and retreats you can go on to connect with angels. And I just think it's really important to invest in yourself and go to these conferences and retreats so that you can meet. That's how I met you. Mm -hmm. And I, I, th I just think it's important to, to really say, okay, these people I can't talk to about this stuff. So I'm going to go find people with whom I can talk to about this stuff. I hope that's helped. And I hope for any other men listening to the show, I hope that it inspires you all as well, because we need to support men much more than we do in this society. And this was in no way a, a, a negative comment about women becoming more empowered, because I think no. that's equally as important. Oh, but, 100%. But, but you can't I, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, yes. That's where I was going to. Sorry. I think I cut no. you off with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you didn't. We're good. Are you ready for the next one? I, I am. 
are you ready for, for me to get on my soapbox with this one? Yes, because I have a similar soapbox right here to get on to with okay. this one. So. I recently had a reading with an intuitive healer who said that their reading was 100% correct because, quote, spirit is never wrong. This listener continues, I believe that, but ego also comes into it, and that is not 100% because it skews your opinions, making you put your own thoughts into your readings, making it less than 100% accurate. While some of the things she said were interesting and thought-provoking, I could not shake her 100% comment. How do you deal with a reader with whom you make some connection but find fault in some of their statements and beliefs? Do you just brush off what doesn't resonate and take what does? So here's what I have to say about that. Nobody is 100% right about anything, really. Agreed. And any reader who says they are 100% accurate is not coming from an ethical place, in my humble opinion. Again, I mean, agree. brain surgeons who don't perform operations 100% perfectly each and every time. I mean... Nobody is 100% accurate and correct every single day of their life. And anyone who claims to be, you know, needs to, needs to come down off that mountain. I agree with everything that you said. It's also coming from a place of ego, not spirit. Well, and I think another thing to consider is who are you connecting to in spirit? Because if you're connecting with someone as a medium and you're bringing through someone who was actually incarnated on this planet, they're still the same person. They're still going to have the same foibles and issues that they had when they were here. You don't become instantly enlightened. There's nothing evidential to say, oh, I, I connect with the angelic realm. You feel it, but you, you're still going to filter it through your humanness, through your ego. I, exactly. I really take issue with anyone making it all or nothing in anything, but especially in this type of work. I also feel like it's planting that seed of fear-based stuff. So if you brought through all these wonderful validations and then there was something that you brought through and someone is that left a little question mark or a little hesitancy and someone says, nope, I'm always 100% right or spirit is never wrong, I don't know about you, but I would focus on that and think, oh, this is a definite, and what am I going to do? Right. And then we are have you no going right. to manifest that when it wasn't even correct in the first place? Right. And, and I think that the person who wrote this is you know, saying there was a connection, and, but do you just brush that off if it doesn't resonate and see what does fit? But personally, again, humble opinion, I would have a hard time with anyone that was coming from a place where they expected me to release my beliefs and will to what they were saying, telling me was de a, de a definitive answer. I don't believe that. No, and I would have a hard time with someone going against the laws of science. I mean, quantum physics have, has shown us that just by looking at something, you can change it. Right. So the future is malleable and can change. And there's so many different parts that are going to come into to play to any prediction that comes through in a reading you can't say it's 100% accurate. And sometimes, like, I, I don't, there's a lot of things. When, when I'm doing a reading, sometimes, well, always, like, like, my own judgment is always there. Uh -huh. I, I don't get out of the way as effortlessly as you do. And, like, I, for example, this morning I was typing up an email reading, and she was asking about love coming into her life. And so when I do an email reading, I go into meditation. I ask the question, I 
try to get as much answers as I can. I write it all down in my notes because then sometimes it forms itself into like a, like a theme. And then I type it all up. And sometimes when I'm typing it up, more stuff comes out. So I'm typing up my meditation notes and I type really fast. And I, and I look down and I had written, I feel that you will meet the one early in 2020. Okay, anyone who knows me knows I don't believe in the one. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I think we can love many times in a lifetime. I think that there are many different types of soulmates we'll meet in one lifetime. And I don't like that whole hokey, you complete me, you're my soulmate. I don't like all that stuff. So I looked at that and I was like, where the hell did that come from? So I thought, (laughs) well, I better not delete it because it just kind of came out. But I put a little parentheses and I said, I told her, I said, I don't really believe in the one. So please take that with a huge bucket of salt and just know clearly some magical love is heading your way. I don't know if it's going to be the one, but it feels important because I had to, I had to add my own judgment in there. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And I also think if the per, if you go to a reader or an intuitive or someone that whatever they do and some things that really, really resonate for you and you love the messages that are coming through, go to that person for those types of things, but always, always know it's subject to change and free will, that you're the one in the driver's seat. And this is the energy around you in the present, even if we can, and, and you and I have both done this, Samantha, we've said, okay, I'm feeling like there's going to be a twist, you know, next spring, blah, blah, blah. We give dates, we give this stuff. And it's a generalization. And that may or may not come to pass because it's based on the energy of what we're reading right now. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Would you like to read the next one? We, we will gracefully step off our soapbox now. Yes. But that, that's a big one, especially with so many people reaching out for validation right now. Exactly. Um, You need to find an ethical reader. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to reach out for some advice and your thoughts on a dream I had recently. In the dream, I was in an operating room. I was wearing medical scrubs surrounded by medical staff, and there was a little African-American girl present with us, completely healthy and happy. We were all joking and laughing, and the little girl began taking deep breaths in a joking manner, but all of a sudden she flatlined and fell into my arms. I could hear the flatline sound from the machine, but she wasn't hooked up to one. After some short hesitation and confusion as to what had just happened, everyone paused and looked at me waiting for my reaction. I carried her over to the operating table and resuscitated her. Everyone was relieved and ecstatic, but calm. Then afterward, I was in a break room with these folks who began clapping for me. One asked if this was my first save, and I responded, this is my sixth, actually. And another said, She has what it takes. She'll be a captain someday. Then I spoke with an old friend who was surprised to see me in scrubs, and I replied, yep, I'm in training. Pretty cool, huh? Anyways, I'm not in the medical field. However, I am a former law enforcement and currently working in the security field. I have saved a total of three lives. Not sure why I said six in this dream. I'm trying to understand if this was just my subconscious trying to convey a message to me, whatever that may be. Or is this some sort of a light worker dream? What are your thoughts or advice on where I go to from here? Uh, and goes on to thank for our insight, but also all you offer through your Psychic Teachers podcast. Okay, dreams are, they're either a reflection of our everyday life, they're our subconscious, or they're uh, cues from spirit. That's what I believe dreams are. Do you agree with that? Yes and no. 
<laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so I am really passionate about this topic because of my experiences when I was going through my spiritual awakening and I had all those recurring dreams where I was in training. And, mm -hmm. you know, recurrently I would have these dreams where we were being trained to do readings or to do healings or to do psychic surgery or to cross spirits over. And I call it my psychic school. And Denise, it's so real to me. And I have studied Carl Jung's work. I have studied dream work. I know what a dream feels like. And I know what a spiritual experience feels like in the dream state. And it's really different. And so could I look at this and analyze it from like a Jungian type perspective? Sure. I mean, you could look at the numerology of six. You could look at the symbolism of the girl flatlining. You could do all of that. However, this detail that she mentions in this dream, given her background in law enforcement and the fact that she's already saved three lives. Mm -hmm. Let's just think about that a moment, people. How many? Oh, I can't say that. Can you say that? No. That's pretty amazing. Um, the fact that it, it just, it fits so much with what I've been studying. I, I call these people like us night workers. I've talked about it a couple of times on my Psychic Teachers podcast. And several of those listeners have emailed me their stories that are really similar to this. Right now, I'm working on a book about my psychic experiences. But when I'm done with that, I truly do want to write a book called Are You a Night Worker? And I want to just ask for stories like this because I think it's a really unresearched area of the paranormal field that I do think needs to be looked at. Um, the fact that she's in training, the fact that uh, other people were applauding her, the fact that it almost looks like a training episode. Like the little girl is happy and healthy and suddenly she flatlines. It kind of reminds me of you know, when you are going through a training exercise, you know, okay, it's your turn to play dead now and let's see if she can revive you. It just fits. The way you describe it, and I, that always fascinates me that you have that experience. I think that is so damn cool. But when we have visitations from people that we've lost who have passed and they come to us in a dream, we wake up crying, we wake up wanting to hold them. It's so, so, so real. And it's not the same as a regular dream. It's a visitation. And from what you're describing, the experience that this lady had and also what you had when you were going through this training felt like a visitation. It felt that real and true. Yes. And even all these years later, it's as clear and crisp and vivid as when you went through it. Yeah. And when I would go back to that psychic school in my dreams, I would see the same people. Right. And which that's I think huge. Is Really interesting. Yeah, at the time I was pregnant and one of the women in the dreams was also pregnant and then there was a young man and the three of us were in every class together. And we'd wait outside the classroom door because there was always a teacher with the clipboard checking us in and we'd talk and catch up about what was going on in our, in our daily lives. And I just don't know if the dream state can recreate those specifics. Did, this is an odd question. Did you ever meet anyone in everyday life that reminded you of the people in the class? Or was no. it totally, it was always separate? Yes, and I've always wished I did. Okay, because that's interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, and also that you remember it with that level of detail. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and, and clearly she does too. So I would say to her, to me, this is a sign of, of healing abilities. 
Mm-hmm. And I think on the astral plane, you are in training to, to be doing healings on the astral level. I mean, I don't have dreams of a psychic school anymore, but I still have dreams at least once a month where I'm doing readings and my guides are around me and they're helping me do the readings. And I think it's because, you know, we're kind of always in training. We're always bettering ourselves. But I think this is a sign that at least on the astral level, she is healing people. And I think it would be wonderful to invite that into your earthly life and consider signing up for a healing touch certification class, a Reiki class, uh, chiropractor, Qigong, acupuncture, any healing modality that resonates with you. I mean, if you've saved three lives, I mean, gosh, I, I, I have an uncle-in-law who was a police officer and he saved three lives and everybody nicknamed him Doc. I didn't know what his name was until he passed away <laughs> because everyone <laughs> called him the Doc. So it's, that's a big deal that she's already saved three lives. I just think she's being called to do this. I'm not telling her, leave your job in the security Whoa. field, but I'm just saying in, in your free time, I, I really think she should consider studying this. Even if, even if she just gets Barbara, Barbara Brennan's book, Hands of Light, and, and starts there, or just yes. starts learning more about the chakras, but this story just excites me. And one last little thing is I agree with you. Everything makes perfect sense. And the whole fact that it was done in an operating room and medical and healing. But what popped into my head also is integrating those parts of herself that might, I feel like this woman is bringing in all of these former pieces of herself to get ready for this new, this new step forward that maybe she has pulled in six parts of her. She's rescued herself six times or there's six turning points in her life. I just feel like this is on a regular dream analysis way, very, very significant for integration and getting ready to move forward. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I could be wrong. It could just be a dream. And even if it is just a dream, you're correct. It's so symbolic of she's going through a resurrection. Yes. I think it's both. Yeah, it could be both. Very exciting, though. Okay. And our next question says, Hi, Denise and Samantha. I have two questions, so here goes nothing. Is there a connection between psychic protection and our body's immunity? I've heard a lot of empaths have a difficult time connecting to their physical bodies and lower chakras because our brains, emotions, and guts work in overdrive. I know that stress in the body and emotion can lead to illness. What do you think about the potential connection between an empath stress response and immunity? Any protection tips that stretch beyond exercise and healthful, mindful eating? Well, yes. As the saying goes, we wear our biography and our biology. I believe Carolyn May said that first. I could be wrong. But I do believe that as empaths, what we do is we carry everyone's emotions with us. So picture walking around and you've got, you know, you put on someone's coat, you carry their emotions with you. I posted to our Facebook page last week, so you guys can go on there and and find it. It's a little video. I've posted it on there before because I just think it's such a great visual. And it just shows this little cartoon drawing. He's He's all white. So it's just like an outline, like a little, you know, simple sketch. And he walks up and there's someone struggling with an emotional issue, and he holds their hands. And as he does, his hands become shaded because he's taken on their emotions to help them. 
And then he goes on throughout his day and there's someone else who's having a difficult day and he hugs them. And now his whole arms and, and chest are sketched in, shaded in. And then he walks across a bridge and there's someone there trying to take their lives. And he stops them. It's silent. It's just a, mm-hmm. a little cartoon. And, and he talks to them and he hugs them. And as he does, all their darkness goes into him and he, com- he becomes completely shaded. And they walk off and they're happy and woohoo, I feel great now. And he, com- he walks home, his shoulders are slumped over, he's tired, his eyes are weary. And he's completely shaded in darkness because he's taken on everyone's stuff. And when he gets home, his little dog hugs him and all the shading goes away. It's so sweet. So anyway, that's just a good visual of how when we go throughout our day, we're like little sponges and we take everybody's stuff onto our own. And so, yes, it can affect our body's immunity. And beyond exercise and healthful, mindful eating, I do think self-care is really important. Setting boundaries is really important. Sacred selfishness that I'm always pushing for people to practice is important. Learning to ground your energy and learning to do simple psychic protection techniques like simply putting a white bubble around yourself, a bubble of light every single day is so, so important for empaths. I want to add, we don't usually add this one in, but I think we need to start given ourselves permission to rest, to just rest, to shut things off, to step away and regroup. Because I don't think because of life circumstances or the need to take care of other people or whatever that we do that as much as we should as empaths. That's a great reminder. And, and rest in a way that is restful to you. Right. You know, like for me, I can't nap. I I really can't. I wake up crankier than I was before. It doesn't work for me. So when I rest in the middle of the day, uh, for me, sometimes that's just knitting or crocheting for 30 minutes or going for a walk or just sitting and scrolling through my phone sometimes is very relaxing. I know it's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be, but it is. Or just sitting in my little cozy chair and reading a chapter. So whatever is restful for you, my good friend, you know what's restful for her, Denise, is going for a five-mile run. <laughs> I wish that's how I rested. Yeah, I know those running people. that they, they do, and they come back, and they are so relaxed and zen and happy. It doesn't quite work for me that way, but that's okay. I have my other rest stuff. That's right. <laughs> Pint of ice cream. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I do think being mindful that Everyone you encounter as an empath has an, has an impact on you, even if you're not an empath. But for empaths, it's just heightened. And so you have to be mindful of that. You, what's that quote? You are the seven people you hang out with the most. You know that quote? Like you become, Yeah, I thought it was like five. I thought five. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a culmination of the five people you spend the most time with. It might be yeah. seven. I can't remember, but... Hopefully everyone knows what we're talking about. But the key is I've read that quote at times in my life where my boss was really toxic or I had a class of kids who were, you know, some of them were just very negative and it impacted the whole classroom. And so my whole day felt as though I was marinating in negativity. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard for me. And, and learning some of these simple 
psychic protection techniques really, really helped. But I think what you said is really the most important, giving ourselves permission to rest. I have a really hard time with that. I have to almost schedule it in. Me too. I, I feel guilty. I'm staring at the laundry basket. My email list is practically screaming at me. I don't know. It's, it's very hard for me. So I have to um, really be mindful of making myself rest. Yes. So her second question is really long. We'll save it for part two. We have so many more questions to get through. So how about, Denise, we just do a part two to, so we can get all these wonderful questions and stories in. I think that sounds great because we've had so many people reach out this past month. And they're really great questions and stories. So tune in and next week we will share part two with you guys. Um, I did want to tell everyone that on November 14th, I'm teaching a beginner's crystal class. So if you guys are liking crystals and just not really sure what to do with them, where to buy them or how to cleanse them or charge them or what the heck does she mean when she says work with this stone or meditate with that stone, then this would be a really great webinar for you. It's November 14th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can sign up on my website, samanthafay.com. And you're going to learn all sorts of wonderful things about crystals, how to use them in grids and clean them with the moon and charge them with the sun. You get about 50 pages of handouts. So there's a lot of information, but you will have time for what I call show and tell <laughs> at the end of class. If you want to look at some of my favorite stones, or if you want to share with the class some crystals you're working with and to ask questions that you have about crystals, all of that good stuff. And very soon, Denise and I will be announcing our winter and spring schedule of classes. But just so you know, we are going to be doing the Mediumship 101 class again in February. So if you're looking to sign up for that, we'll have all the dates and details on our websites very soon. Anything else we need to tell people? I can't think of anything. Okay. Well, please check us out. I'm SamanthaFay.com. Denise is thegratefulmessenger.com. And if you want to submit a question or a story for our December Community Connections show, you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or message us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. We hope you all have enjoyed this hour, and we hope you guys have a wonderful, happy week. As always, please remember to show up, do great work, share your light. Take care.